0: All right, so today we continue uh, with our series, AHA, and so we are officially at week three of our six-week series, and and we've been um, focused in on the story of the prodigal son. And what you'll know by now, if you've, if you've been tracking with us, if you've been here, um, or uh, if you haven't been able to make it, I'll encourage you to uh, watch the videos or, or catch the sermon on the podcast online. You can get all of that through our website so that you can stay caught up. But, but what we've been doing as we've been tracking through this series is we've been experiencing, uh, along with the prodigal son, his departure from the father's house where he chooses to leave the safety, the security, the provision of a a father who loves and cares for him. And he has decided because he thinks there's something that his life is missing. He thinks there's something that he needs. He is traveling to the distant country. And uh, last week, we we explored what it was like for him when he got to the distant country. Uh, And he realized that it was not at all as he planned. But, you know, the thing about the distant country, and this is just a reminder... When you're on your way to the distant country, it takes a little while for the pain and the difficulty to catch up. When you first decide to go to the distant country, it's not initially a sad thing. You go to the distant country because your heart longs for something that you think you've been missing, something that you think has been kept from you. And so you have this desire to go to the distant country and have it and experience life and all of the freedom that you think is found there, and you get there and you dig in with abandon and you experience everything there is to experience, and then all of a sudden you realize that the fence that God put around your yard was not there to keep you away from something fun, but the fence that God put around your yard was there to help protect you and help you experience life in the fullest, to have full freedom. And you end up in the distant country and it costs more than you ever thought it would. And, and that's where we, we find the prodigal today is in the distant country experiencing what the freedom that he thought he was going to get, what it cost him. And there's something we're going to learn today, something that I'm sure you know well, and it's counterintuitive. And so I, I want you to really track with this as we get started. Jot it down on your notes if you take notes, write it on the side of your Bible by Luke 15 if you want to. But, but here's something I need you to understand, and it's something that's just real. And it won't sound real. But what you think is freedom away from God is really slavery. See, when you run away from the Father's house so that you can experience what you hope is this real freedom that your life has been missing, I promise you that sooner or later, what you're gonna experience is slavery to sin. And it might not be immediate, and you might have a lot of fun along the way, but it always ends in the same place. The distant country Away from the Father who has loved, cared, and provided for you, and we talked last week. It leaves you broke, and it leaves you alone, and it leaves you reeling. But even in that, God is always working to call you home. And so that's where we pick up today: is how God works to call us home. Um, you ever read the Odyssey? I think you have to in high school. Still, who, who's read the Odyssey? Okay, so the Odyssey is the story of Odysseus. Um, it, it's Greek mythology, and Odysseus is, is, is a general um, in uh, the Trojan War. And when the war is over, um, Odysseus packs up his boat with all of his men, and he sets sail for home. Uh, And unfortunately, his journey home is not a quick one. He has a wife and child at home, and he wants to get back to them, and he has people that he uh, rules over that he wants to get back to. He's got a good heart and desires to come and rule um, well over them and to provide for his wife and his child. And and unfortunately, the story is the 20-year epic of how he returns home. And you can, you can read about it, and it's worth a, it's worth a read, even though it's, it's mythology. It's not something that's, that's real. But there is, there is a part of this that's, that's worth us talking about now. And what happens is Odysseus, after some years of traveling, um, has lost the majority of his crew, and he ends up at the island of Calypso. And at the island of Calypso, Um, he meets the goddess Calypso, who becomes enchanted with Odysseus and kind of casts a spell on him. And so the next thing we know, we, we pick up the story, he's been with her for seven years, forgetting all about his desire to return home, forgetting all about his desire to be with his wife and to be a father to his son. He wastes seven years, but to him, Because of the enchantment that she's put on him, it feels like it's a few months, and he's stuck on the island of Calypso, ignoring and and away from his home and and ignoring his responsibilities, and he's there seven years until uh, the goddess Athena intervenes and brings in the story what can only be described as a wake-up call, a wake-up call that comes with the announcement that you've been here seven years. Your wife is being pressured to remarry because they assume you're dead and your child's life is in danger because he's your only heir. And that's the wake-up call that gets him to to break away from Calypso and leave the island. Now, listen, um, it's make-believe, it's fiction, it is what it is, but the reason it's relevant for us today is simply because we all are in need of a wake-up call. And while I don't think any of us are under the enchantment of the goddess Calypso and have been stuck somewhere seven years, it's a lot like the way sin works. See, because the distant country calls with a promise of something that is so awesome. There is a man that is going to love you forever. There is a woman that is going to love you forever. And yeah, I know I'm not supposed to be in a relationship with that person. I know I'm not supposed to go there. I know I'm not supposed to step out of my marriage. I know I'm not supposed to do any of those things. But it calls with such promise and such allure. And so what happens is I pack my bags and I leave the father's house and I go to the distant country because I think this is where real freedom is going to happen. But it's not real freedom it's slavery, it's bondage, and I'm stuck there until, until there's a wake-up call, until there's an alarm that sounds. And, And here's the thing about the alarm. The alarm is going to sound. It will for everybody when you're in the distant country. It's just simply a matter of whether or not you're going to respond to it and we're going to discover this as we look at the text today, but listen to me. Listen to my words well. I could save you years of agony and grief right here if you'll just listen to this one thing. The faster you respond to the alarm that God sounds in your life, the faster you leave the distant country, and the faster you walk away from things that are destroying you. The more you ignore the alarm that sounds in your life, the deeper you dive into things that destroy and ruin you. Now, here's what I'm going to say to you. Short of your last breath, it's never too late for you to repent and return to the father's house, but it doesn't have to get that far. It doesn't have to linger that long if you just listen. And so what God does is God turns up the alarm. And if you don't listen, things are going to get harder and harder and harder for you. The effectiveness of the alarm is in direct correlation to how much you don't want to hear it. We talked about that last week. If you've been tracking along in the book, by the way, if you're tracking along in the book, um, you're reading uh, chapter three this week. But um, as you've been tracking along, Idleman talks about this. We talked about it last week. Carrie has this sweet sounding alarm that's piano music. And when it goes off, it's nice. I like to lay there and listen to it because It's pleasant. It doesn't make me want to get up and shut it off. But when my alarm goes off, it sounds like blaring warning signs. Well, that makes me want to get up and shut it off. So while I might sleep through her alarm, I'm not going to sleep through mine. I may throw my phone and break it uh, because it's that bad, but I'm not going to sleep through it. Okay. And what we have to realize is that God is sounding the alarm. There's something about rock bottom, that's not real. Rock bottom is a myth because rock bottom simply is a metaphor that we use to explain how bad things are in your life. But let me, let me explain this to you. If you don't stop and turn around, there's even further to fall. So there are some of you who might feel like, well, I'm at rock bottom right now and here's the deal. No, you're not. Because if you don't answer the alarm, you will continue to fall further and further and further away into the distant country. And so rock bottom isn't real uh, necessarily. It just is the way we describe how far you fall before God gets to you. And for the prodigal son, he did not do well. Let's track this. This is, this is where we've been over the last couple of weeks, these first Uh, five verses. But a man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all of his belongings and moved to a distant land where he wasted all of his money in wild living. Then last week we saw this. And about that time, I'm sorry, about the time his money ran out because he wasted it all in wild living. And about the time that it ran out, Famine swept over the land and he began to starve. And so he persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one would give him anything. And so we, we find the prodigal son at his rock bottom here. He has uh, decided that he doesn't want to Um, be part of the father's house any longer. He views the restriction there to be too much. He wants real freedom. And we know by the story what he considers to be real freedom. He considers real freedom to be slavery to alcohol. He considers real freedom to be slavery to sex. And he considers real freedom to be in a place where the only voice he needs to listen to is his own because that's what he does. He, he tells his father, I wish you were dead. I want the money now. The father gives him the money now, not happy about it, but, but gives him the money now. And so the prodigal leaves home and it's not too long. He wastes his money in wild living. We talked wild living is code for drunken orgies. Okay. It just is what it is. And so he wastes his money on wild living and now he's busted and he's broke and he's alone. And this is where he finds himself. And, and this is bad. But, but listen to this. This is also the beginning of his moment. Remember, we talked at the beginning in week one of this, that this whole series is about, for each and every one of us, it's about that God moment that will change everything. And this is for him. This is that moment. See, all all aha stories start the same. They all start with leaving the father's house and they all end up in the distant country. And some people wallow and die in the distant country. But everybody that experiences aha, everybody that comes home, it starts here. Look at the first part of uh, verse 17. He finally came to his senses. See, this is what has to happen in your life. And some of you are here now Some of you have experienced this before. Uh, We talked in in weeks past how we're all in the distant country to a degree, right? We're all walked away from the Father to a degree. Some of us are there completely in the distant country where we just are away from God and we don't want anything to do with God and we're just away. Some of us, what we've done is we've taken part of ourselves, the part that wants to do something we know we shouldn't do, and we've sent that part of ourselves to the distant country and we've built perimeter fence around it and said, God, you can't get near here don't come near there, right? Whether it's, it's alcohol or drugs or sex or money or my, my business tactics or my relationships or whatever it is, I've said, you can't have this part of me. And I've camped out in the distant country there, but whatever it is, right? It all starts, the fixing of it starts with this, this sentence, when he finally came to his senses. And coming to our senses is something that has to happen for aha. We have to have this sudden awakening where all of the sudden we see something clearly that we had not seen clearly before. That's the beginning of aha, is this awakening. Suddenly, we come to our senses, we see something so clearly. It's not new information. It's always been that way. But all of the sudden, we see it in such a way that we can't help but understand and respond to it. This is the Holy Spirit's power in your life. This is the Holy Spirit working in your heart to say to you, wake up. The alarm is sounding. Wake up and see something that's always been true. It's always been true. It's never not been true. But you've missed it and you've walked away from it. But now all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit is prompting you. And the moment aha starts in your life is the moment you come to your senses and you have an awakening. That's what it takes. And for for some of us, man, we've got to get to this bad place. We call it rock bottom, but we get to this bad place where uh, everything falls apart and none of it makes sense and all of it feels bad. And that's what happens for the prodigal. I mean, this dude is in a pig pen and he's a Jewish guy too, right? So so pigs are, are, are to be left alone completely. You're not to be around them, much less caring for them, touching them because they're considered unclean. All this represents to us is the fact that he's in a pig pen tells us that he is so far gone from his father that he doesn't even care anymore. And he is that desperate. And he finds himself in a pig pen longing to eat pig slop. That's where he is. I mean, so he would say, man, I I am at rock bottom but he, he comes to his senses, and I, I think we get there, right? I mean, there's sometimes, I've, I've talked to people, counsel people in my office. They look around and they realize, man, all of a sudden, uh, I, I am without friends. There is nobody around that cares for me because my pride has pushed them all away. And, and they would say, man, I'm, I'm at rock bottom. I'm all alone. There are people, man, and they, their card is declined at the grocery store. And they know the reason their card is declined at the grocery store is because they've gambled it all away. There are people um, whose wife has just walked out on them because she caught them again. And they would say, okay, that's the alarm clock. I am now at rock bottom. There's people who who are, are fired from work because they've fudged their expense reports. And they would say, well, I'm at rock bottom. And when you're at rock bottom, what happens is is the Holy Spirit is pushing onto you and is telling you there is a truth that exists that you just missed. And it's time to realize it. And it's time to come to your senses. But here's the thing. So some of you are sitting here and going like, well, man, if I had been cheating on my wife and she caught me again and walked out, that would be bad. Or if I had gambled away all of my money, that would be bad. Or if I was lying about my expense reports and I was about to get fired, that would be bad. And here's what I'm going to say to you. Some of you are well on your way. You may not know it. You may not realize it, but some of you are well on your way to the distant country, but you don't have to get there. What happens is God is sounding an alarm on your behalf and you just need to respond. Think about the prodigal. God sounded an alarm so many times for him. If he had just responded to any of those, he would have been able to stop and come home before it got to rock bottom. See, we think, oh, well, you know what? You have to hit rock bottom before you come back up again. And that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. You respond before you hit rock bottom and then you never have to get there. You don't have to get there. The prodigal, if he had been in tune to the Holy Spirit, if he had seen the look, the alarm that rang in his heart, the look in his father's eyes when he said, I wish you were dead, I want my money now. If he had noticed the look in his father's eyes and he had responded to that alarm, none of the story happens. He doesn't go and squander it all. He doesn't waste away. He doesn't find himself pig-sitting, right? The, the, The first time he has a party and the twinge of guilt kicks up in his heart. He wakes up in a bed that's not his. And there's this moment of guilt because he knows that that's not right. He knows that's not what's supposed to happen. And and so, he, oh, and you know what? He pushes it back. He ignores the alarm. He hits the snooze. He rolls over, puts the pillow over his head, and he just keeps going. But it didn't have to get that far. When his wallet is a little bit lighter after a few of these parties, and he realizes, man, I am burning through money fast. He didn't have to keep going. The alarm sounded, but he ignored it. When he's broken, a famine hits the land. I mean, that's an alarm, but he keeps ignoring it. He doesn't respond to the alarm that God has been blaring in his life until he's at the point where he's sitting with pigs and he wants to eat their food. That's finally when he comes to his senses. But it didn't have to get that far, and it doesn't in your life either. It just doesn't have to get that far if we respond when God calls us. So, so here's, here's something I'm going to ask you to do now, wherever you are, is, is, is if God is calling you to respond faster, then respond faster. You don't have to let it get that far. It doesn't have to be. Okay? All right. Look at uh, 2 Chronicle, Chronicles. and this is just God is calling you. Here's what the word says. The Lord God of their fathers sent warnings to them by his messengers, rising up early and sending them because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. Here's what I need you to understand. The Father, God in heaven, he loves you with such crazy, ridiculous abandon that there is no way he is not warning you. And some of you, you just need to respond to his warning. Again, it, this makes sense if you think about it like an alarm clock. So last Thursday morning, I was going to small group at 6 a.m. Now, for, so for some of you, 6 a.m., you're like, well, that, you should have been up for three hours by then. Okay, because we live in farm country. And some of you, I, I swear, you go to bed at like 7.30 at night, and you're up at 3.30 in the morning, and... Whatever. If you're like me, you go to bed at like 11.30 or midnight, and then you struggle to wake up at 6.30. Um, but, but here's what happened. We've got small group Thursday mornings at the family restaurant. Uh, it's great to have small group at the family restaurant because they bring you coffee right to your table, and they bring you omelets, and it's, it's good stuff. But my alarm went off at 5.40, <clears throat> I'm like, I gotta get up. I've got small group. Not only that, but I'm leading small groups, so I really shouldn't be late to small group. I still hit the snooze button. And then at 5 49, when the alarm went off again, I thought, okay, now you really have to get up because you can't be late to small group. So I turned the alarm off. It's not that bad. Some of you are like, oh, no, no, it's okay, it's all right. I got up, kind of, and I lingered, and I sat there, and I was like, okay, all right, come on, Matt, get out of bed. Now, and then you play that game like one more minute, and I'm looking at the clock, and at this time, it's, it's 5.50. I'm like, okay, when it's 5.51, I'm going to get up. But you know what happens when you do that? It turns to 5.51 way faster than you thought it was going to, so you're like, okay, 5.52. I was a little bit late to small group. I, like, like two minutes, I was okay. And then I, I, I lingered because Carrie was out walking with Sue. And so it, was, you know, it doesn't matter. Anyway, so I get to small group and I'm late. And the reason I'm late is because I pushed the alarm back and I pushed the alarm back and I pushed the alarm back. That's what we do in the distant country. But it doesn't have to be that way. God sends out, because he has great compassion, he sends out messengers, warnings, he sounds alarms, but what we do is because we don't like to hear them, we just flat out don't listen. And some of you here right now are living parts of your lives that you wish nobody in the church knew about. Some of them we don't know about. Some of them we do, and we all just pretend they're not real. But who are we kidding? We know they're real. And God is sending out messengers. He's ringing alarms, and we're not listening. But he does it because he has this great compassion, and he does it in three ways, I'm convinced. Okay, first of all, he does it um, through his word. He gives us his word at just the right time. But we don't always listen. He does it, you know who he does it with? He does it with Cain in the garden. Abel brings a sacrifice that's the best of what God has provided him, and it's accepted. Cain brings a sacrifice that is mediocre, And God says, I won't accept that sacrifice that's mediocre. Everything you have came from me. And so when you bring a sacrifice to me, do what's right. Bring the best because I provided everything to you. And then Cain grows angry and God says to him his right word at just the right time, hey, 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 sin is crouching at your door and it's waiting to have you. Don't let it have you. Master it. It's the right word at just the right time. Unfortunately, Cain doesn't respond, and we know the story. He kills his brother, and then consequences ensue, and he finds himself in the distant country. But God's word was provided at just the right time. You know what? It's like when you show up at church, and they talk about the thing that you hate the most. And I can always tell, I shouldn't say this. That, that, that was an exaggeration. I can usually tell what somebody is struggling with the most in their heart based on the complaints they give me about the sermons I preach. If they want to tell me, man, we are always talking about money. Why are we always talking about sacrificial giving? I can almost always say, you know what? Because you've got an issue in your heart with sacrificial giving. If they're like, man, why are you always talking about pornography? Well, might be because they're tired of hearing it. Man, why are you always talking about divorce? You know, come to find out, I'm considering stepping out on on my wife or on my husband. Here's the thing. God's word is provided at just the right time. That's part of the way he works. Because of the power of the Holy Spirit in your life and the fact that God's word is living and breathing and active, it's like this GPS that just finds what we need to hear. It's a way that God sounds the alarm in your life. And if you respond to the alarm that sounds in your life, you don't have to end up in the distant country eating pig food. but we don't listen very well. Also, the words of somebody else in your life. Proverbs twenty-seven six tells us this, that uh, wounds from a trusted friend are good. Cuts from a trusted friend are good. Flattering words from an enemy bring death, more or less. And so what it's telling you there is that Sometimes the way that God sounds an alarm in your life, sometimes the way that God sounds the alarm in your life is by having people that love you tell you things that you don't want to hear. We've talked weeks back, we've talked for a long time about the need for accountability. The need for accountability and the need for you to give somebody that that cares about you permission to say the hard things to you. That you give somebody permission to cut you if necessary. If you don't have somebody like that in your life, then you are missing out because when you start to wander towards the distant country, God can sound an alarm in your life by having somebody that loves and cares for you say what you need to hear at that time to correct you and rebuke you and pull you back. I think I've told you this before, but, but Michael Easley, former president of, of Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, he used to say it this way, that, that for men, that you need men in your life that you can trust with your wallet and your wife. Because those are the men that you can trust with your wallet and you can trust them with your wife. They are going to tell you what needs to be done. They're going to cut you when necessary, but they're going to do it out of love and honor and respect because they want what's best for you. And here's the thing. If you're wise, you'll listen. Because that's a way that God sounds an alarm in your life. If you're foolish, you'll make excuses about why it doesn't apply to you. Or you'll decide that it's only for a little while and it doesn't matter. Or it won't really make any difference after all. And then future consequences. This part we hate, but one of the ways that God um, allows you an understanding of what's happening and gives you an alarm that sounds to bring you back is he gives you a taste of the future consequences if you keep going that way. Maybe there's a pregnancy scare, and you know, a pregnancy scare. That's God's alarm to say, "Whoa, time out! You got to think this through. You can't make this mistake. This is going to end up somewhere you don't want it to be." Uh, per, perhaps it's, um, perhaps it's your your significant other finding out that you have a relationship you know something that 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 maybe hasn't gotten quite that far yet but oh you know the pressure comes in and and all of a sudden there's a taste of consequence um you know I, perhaps it's so far as as to um your kids uh just want nothing to do with you because you missed another game and they're they're mad and angry and 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 it's a taste of the future of having no one in your life that cares and and and, and follows you because you've just pushed them all the way for other things. I don't know exactly what it is in your life, but, but I promise you that when you start to leave for the distant country, God will allow future consequences to come in so that you can get a taste for what it will be like if you keep going. And that is an alarm clock because if you're in this moment and this feels that bad, imagine what it feels like if you keep going. Imagine what it's going to feel like when you get there. And so it doesn't ever have to get to rock bottom. You don't ever have to get to where things are so bad that you just feel so stuck. But what happens is God, out of his great compassion, has sent out his messengers to sound the alarm, to make sure. In the Old Testament, that happened through the prophets. When you read through the Old Testament, you read through the books of the prophets, the prophets always have the same job, to stand and to tell, hey, warning, danger, Will Robinson, come on back. Is it lost in space thing? Okay, thank you. Like some of you kids are like, I don't know what you're talking about. They're awesome. The robot. Okay, but here's what happens. When we keep going and we don't, then we stumble further and further and we end up where the prodigal was. The good news is if you've if you haven't got there yet, I promise you God is sounding alarms trying to spare you. All you have to do is listen. Have your sudden awakening where, where we can say about you, or even if we don't know, if it's just something in your heart that we don't know about, you can say, that moment is when I came to my senses. But if you've wandered and you're, you're in the distant country where, where the prodigal is and you are living in a pig pen, then you know what? It's going to be all right. Okay? Because even there, God is sounding alarms. And when God sounds alarms and we have our sudden awakening moment, okay, there are three things that contribute. There are three things that happen that help us realize this is not where I want to be. The first is, oh, and by the way, not only are there three things that that help us realize this is not where we want to be, help us have our awakening, our sudden moment. But what happens is Satan has a very specific plan to thwart all of them in your heart. So there are these moments where God is sounding an alarm and and these things help you have this sudden awakening in your life. They happen for the prodigal, but for each and every one of them, I promise you, Satan is actively working in your heart, in your life to keep you from responding. He has a very specific plan and it's devious and you need to know it, okay? Uh, The word tells us that, that Satan schemes, but that we're not unwise to his schemes, Okay. So the first is this, you realize where you were. So finish 17. And here's what it says. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. So there's part of the prodigal here who, when he comes to his senses, part of him coming to his senses is he's realizing what he left. Right? Remember, he left because he assumed this was bad and this was controlling and this was hurting me. And this is never what I longed for, and this isn't what I want. It's what they put on me. They put me in this family, they put me in these restrictions, they put me in this scenario, and I want to go out there where I have the freedom to follow my heart. Your heart is stupid. My heart is stupid. I'm sorry, that's probably mean. But man, when I follow my heart, I get myself in all kinds of troubles but when I follow God's will, right, then I find that my heart is truly satisfied. But, but here's what he says. He says, I'm going. I want to follow my heart. And now he's here, and he's sitting in a pig pen, and he's having this realization that, you know what? Man, even at my house, This is what I left. I left a place where even the hired servants, and you know why he's thinking that because he's now a hired servant and nobody gives him anything. And he's so hungry as a hired servant that he wants to eat pig slop. But he's saying back at the father's house, the provision was so good. And I was so dependent on the father that even there, the servants had more than enough to spare. So he has this realization of the way that it was when he was at home. And man, when that happens, Satan, Satan does not want you to remember that. So what's going to happen is Satan is going to try to lie to you and tell you that it wasn't that good. You know what we call this? In counseling circles, you know what we call this? We call it rationalizing. You know what it really is? It's really Satan trying to manipulate you because instead of you looking back and saying man I remember when I was close to God I remember when I was actively reading the Bible and praying I remember when I was plugged into small groups and communities of people that loved and cared for me I remember when I trusted my accountability partner and even though it hurt to listen to the things that he said to me boy when I did everything was good and I've walked away from that and I remember that and I long for it and Satan will come in and Satan will say you know what it wasn't that good it's not better And he'll remind you that it was all controlling and that it was all wrong and that it was all bad and that it felt restrictive and that it wasn't fair. But the Holy Spirit is telling you, he's prompting you, he's sounding the alarm that says, man, remember, it was better. It was good. So you got to know that Satan is going to tell you it wasn't that great. And Satan is going to tell you that that what you're experiencing with freedom isn't that good either. That's part of the temptation that gets you. Think about the Israelites in Exodus. The Israelites in Exodus are slaves for, for 400 years. It's so bad that Pharaoh has ordered that their male babies be killed. Right, They're being beaten and they're being whipped and, and they're being uh, just driven down into the ground. God intervenes. They're free. They're out. They're going to this land that God has promised them. And what do we get? We get like two weeks and they start whining. And what do they say? Oh, man, we want to go back there. I mean, they literally say, it would be better if we were still slaves in Egypt. And Man, that is the work of Satan. That is the work of the enemy trying to convince you that it wasn't that good, that it's not that good, that God isn't necessarily for you. But you're going to have aha, You're going to realize that, man, back there, that's what it was. I was provided for. I was cared for. I was loved. Everything I needed was provided. The provision was given. You also need to realize where you are. You know, part of this aha moment, part of this sudden awakening, is not just remembering where you were. It's remembering where you are. And so we keep going in 1517. He finally came to his senses. He said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. And that word dying of hunger, listen to me, that is not the way that my kids use it. Because all we have are leftovers in the fridge. And all we have are leftovers, and I don't want to have leftovers. And I know there's cans of soup, but I don't like cans of soup, and I'm just—I don't want it. We never have anything good in the house, and there's all this cereal, but there's no milk. I'm dying of hunger. I might be being a little dramatic. They don't really act that way. So here's here's the deal, though. That word there—that's not drama. What he's saying, if we really understand the original context here, what he's saying in this, in this story is, I am about to die of hunger. I mean, he is so desperate that he wants to eat pig slop, he is about to die of hunger. And so it's not hard, it's not hard to take stock of where we are when it's that bad, except here's what happens. For most of us, it's not that bad. When you you really are that bad, when you really are at this point where you are facing death because of decisions that you've made and you're facing death, it's not hard to take stock of where you are in this moment. But most of us aren't this far gone. Most of us are, are well before this where God is trying to sound warning bells and he's trying to tell you, this is not good. This is not good. And Satan works there too, man. Because there, Satan will tell you, and he'll lie to you, and he'll let you know. Things, they're not this bad. Or there's this magical lie that you tell yourself, denial, right? Right? We had rationalization, now we have denial. It, it'll get better. It, it's going to get better soon. We're about to turn a corner. It's only for a little while, right? Yeah, things aren't great now, but the next pull, I am going to win. I'm going to hit the jackpot right? Or this next relationship that I jump in, that's the one that's really going to fulfill me. And that's the one that's really going to meet all of the needs that I have. Right? Or this next time that I log in, this next time that I log in and I watch this stuff that I know I'm not supposed to watch, that's the time that my heart is really going to be fulfilled and that I'm really going to be satisfied or this next conquest, or whatever it is, this next big bonus that I get, and I get it in the bank and I hit that milestone, that's when I'm really going to feel safe and secure. And so we, we have these things where we keep pushing this direction, and, and, and Satan likes to tell us, look, it's only for a little while. Things aren't really that bad. You're going to be okay. But the truth is, when you're in the distant country and, and you're struggling, it, it's not going to be okay. And in order for a sudden awakening to happen... Man, you need to realize where you are. And so this is look in the mirror time. For the prodigal, he has to realize where he is. And Satan is going to try tooth and nail to keep him away from this truth. But the truth is, look, you are away from the father's house. You're in the distant country. You're broke. You're alone. And you're sitting in a pig pen. And you're longing to eat pig food. And you're about to die of hunger that's not where you are. But man, you're traveling somewhere. I mean, there's a good chance that you're traveling somewhere and you got to look in the mirror and for a sudden awakening to happen, you got to be honest about where you are. You got to be honest about where you are. So we've got this this, um, realizing where you were, realizing where you are. And the last part of this, you, you figured out, I'm sure, is realizing what could be. And so here's what he says in, in Luke 15, 18 through 19. He says, You know what? I'm going to go home to my father, and I'm going to say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. Because what's happened here is in his life, he's intersected with something about truth. And there have been some painful experiences, and we look at painful experiences and we say they're bad. We try to avoid painful experiences, but you know what? We pray painful experiences away. Um, but but here's what happens: painful experiences actually sometimes are God's blessing in your life. Sometimes that's what happens. I mean, sometimes it takes those painful experiences. Proverbs 20, 30 basically tells us that. That sometimes the way that God gets you to move to righteousness is by causing or allowing or painful experiences that invade your life. And you might cry out to God, God, take these away from me. And God says, uh-uh, I'm not going to do it. We ask other people to pray for us, pray for us. And so we pray for them and we say, God, relieve the stress, relieve the pain, relieve the frustration. And, and then our prayers seemingly go unanswered. It's not that God isn't loving and it's not that God isn't kind and it's not that God's not working, but it's that God has a different agenda than we do. We're praying for somebody's comfort. God is praying for their homecoming. We're praying that somebody would would have a little bit of relief in the moment and God is praying that they will come to their senses and they will return to the Father's house, right? So sometimes, sometimes it takes cancer. Sometimes it takes cancer happening in your life to start to have a view of what eternity is really supposed to be and things that are eternal. Sometimes it takes unemployment in your life so that you can really start to dig in and understand what a relationship with God through prayer and dependence on him is like. Sometimes it takes these things that we would say, oh, that's hard. God, take it away. And God says, I'm not going to take it away because there's something else I'm trying to accomplish in your life or something else I'm trying to accomplish in the lives of the people around you and it feels bad, but that's the way this works when God calls us home. We have this sudden awakening, and we, we see how it was, and we see how it is now, and we see how it could be. Psalm 84 says, eighty four ten says that uh, better is one day, God, in your courts than a thousand days elsewhere, that it is better to be a servant in the house of the Lord than a master away from it. And that's exactly what's happened to this prodigal here as he's having this sudden realization, this God moment that's about to change everything. He comes to his senses. He realized, man, back home, even the servants have food to eat. Things are good there. Here, I am desperate and dying. And I could go home and it could be better. And he's in this moment with this realization where even to be a servant in the father's house is better than all of the freedom that I thought I was getting out here. And it's this realization, and that's where God wants to bring you, and that's, that's why we end here. It's, it's this moment of truth, and we know what Jesus says in his word about truth, that truth will set you free. And it's this moment where you realize something that you hadn't realized before, and it sets you free. And so, get this last thing here. Oh, man that's the one. When God wakes us up in the distant country, it's never just so that we can realize we're a long way from home and then sit and wallow. And so I'm, I'm talking to a very specific few of you today. And I, I don't have your picture in my brain. You're not burned in there, but you know where you are. And I know that there are people here that are there. So let's just talk about this. If you're having this God moment, if God is waking you up in the distant country, He is not doing so, so that you will sit there and just know that you're there. When God wakes you up in the distant country, it is because he wants you to come home. And so I don't know where you are, okay? But I know that God wants you to come home. And so if you have openly, unabashedly left the father's house, then it is time for you to respond and come home. If you are creeping away from the Father's house, you know what? It's time for you to stop and come back. And we're gonna keep talking as we move in this series about coming back, but for right now, what I need you to do, what I just need you to understand is that when you understand truth, it has the potential to set you free only if you act on it. It also, when you understand truth, now this is a hard one. Listen here, listen up. When you understand truth, it has the potential to push you further away. Because once you realize, and some of you here, you you, you are at a point where you can't push this away anymore. You can't pretend that it's not real. Once you realize the call of God in your life, once you realize what he's wanting you to do, once you realize where you've been and where you are and where you could be, and it's through the power of his word or the words of his people or the future taste of consequences, whatever it is, once you realize, if you continue to say, forget it, God, I'm still doing it my way, then what's going to happen is you are going further and further away from the Father's house. Satan is digging into your heart more and more and more. And the consequences that God allows in your life to bring you back are going to start to mount and mount and mount. And it's just the way that it's going to be. So this is a rubber meets the road moment. Will we come home or not? Don't waste. Listen, God is going to keep working to draw you home. And if you are away from the Father, um, it is my prayer that you return home and, and, and I will act like, I know that's true, that you're going to return home, but how much time do you need to waste and how bad does it need to get? How much time do you have to waste and how bad does it have to get before you come to your senses and you come home? Last thing, there's a story that Eidelman shares. It's, um, it, it was in the Montreal Gazette. It was about a 66-year-old blind man. 66-year-old blind man who fell down his stairs uh, and fractured his face and his skull. And so he, he went to the doctor and, and they did some things, but he had to go back to the plastic surgeon later to, to have his skull um, and, and the side of his face surgically repaired. Um, and the doctor asked him, as they were prepping for the surgery, do you want me to fix your eyes too? And of course, the guy, he, he was floored. He had no idea what you're talking about because, well, nobody had ever explained to him that this was something that was correctable. There was pressure being put somewhere that could be corrected. I don't know. You can read the article, Montreal Gazette. Um, his name is Thomas. You can check that out. But, but the point, point being that um, he had the surgery at 66 years old. And um, he, he, he tells about it in the article that, that just the wonder it was to all of a sudden be able to experience all of the beauty of God's creation when he had been blind, but now he could see and just understanding this for the first time. And you know what? It's a great story. It's also a little tragic. Here's the deal, guys. I don't want any of us to be in a position where 20 years from now, we start to see something that God was trying to show us all along. And so we need to stop, we need to come to our senses, and we need to have this awakening. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, God, I just, I I thank you so much for your word and the things that we can glean and learn from it. I thank you for the story of the prodigal that shares your heart for those of us that are gone to come home and experience the grace and forgiveness. God, I thank you for the way the story ends, as we'll find in a few weeks. I thank you for the way that you are always longing and looking and welcoming and longing for us to come home. Father, I thank you for the truth of your word, that you are good and gracious and kind, and that you will chase us even when we run to the distant country, even when we run away, even when we try to step out on our own, even when we reject your alarms time and time again, you never quit and you're always ready to welcome us home. So Father, I pray that everyone here, no matter how many steps they are from the Father's house, that they would stop, that they would respond to the alarm, that they would come to their senses and they would turn around and come home. And it will not be easy. It's not easy to come home. There's pain. And, and, and at times there's frustration and at times there's confusion. But God, coming home is better. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand days elsewhere. Father, it is better to serve as a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than to rule somewhere else. Father, we just love you and we praise you and we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the goodness of your grace and mercy. Amen.